Welcome to the 423 Soccer Pod. This is Jim, a.k.a. Chattagooner, and I am, uh, as always, I am joined by my trusty companion, Todd. Todd, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing good, man. You can find me a great footballer on Twitter. So, Todd, today, you know, the people are fortunate. They do not have to listen to you or me talk about a whole lot. Because no, man, this is a special episode. Yeah, because we've got two really cool conversations. One with uh, Tim Kelly, the uh, our leader, the chairman of the board for CFC, where we talk about NISA, we talk about CFC structure, and we talk about what we're go, what you know, where we're we going, and what are we going to be doing in the near future. And then some of the big news out of the NISA meetings or right, I guess we got this right before the NISA meeting was that the Cosmos were applying. And then outside, I guess after the NISA meeting, we found out that they were approved by the NISA board. And so we'll talk to John Fucciante from the first team podcast, a little bit about our friends, the brand uh, up in, (laughs) up in New York. And so Outside of that, I don't know there's a whole lot for you and me to chat about. Um, what you got going on? Anything? Oh, no, man. I mean, these are these are two interesting interviews. I mean, the Tim Kelly interview is interesting because, you know, we, we talked to him. He got back from the NISA meeting, so we talked about him being in Chicago. Uh, and uh, and we also, you know, touched base on some things about, uh, I guess, uh, the development. You know, like you said, where CFC is going, but some of those influences because he, he talks about, you know, being with the, the, what is it? The Johan Cruyff Institute. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So he talks about influences that he's already met that he met through there. That's already impacting the club. And that's the, I think that's a, a really cool thing. And then with the John Frusciante first, uh, first pod uh, interview, uh, first team podcast interview, you know, it, it wasn't that long ago. He was just kind of like, he didn't see Nisa joining any professional league. So it's really interesting to hear, his take on, on how this came about and where the Cosmos are now. Uh, so, yeah, two, two good interviews tonight. And once again, you don't really have to have to hear us uh, yammering on and on about things. Yeah. So I guess I guess with that, let's just let's just go ahead and and um, and bring on Tim and, and have a conversation with him. And we'll be back after that. And as always, our interviews are brought to you by Dose Bros, who remind you to eat local and ball local. And uh, next on the podcast, we've got Tim Kelly, chairman of the board for Changa Football Club. Tim, uh, thanks for joining us, and how are you doing? Doing great. Hope y'all are well. Uh, doing think, well. Yeah, we're doing great. Um, I, we know recently that you had uh, you had gone up to to Chicago for the NISA meetings, and so uh, you know, for for both of our listeners, neither of whom who have been to to these meetings, kind of. <laughs> Walk us through, top, you know, is it a, is this like a conference where there are sessions or is it just a big room where everybody's sitting around talking about lower division soccer? No, stuff? it is a, it is a big room that's, you know, kind of looks like the, some across between the United Nations and the, the Star Wars uh, uh, Rebel Council. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of it's not very exciting, a lot of uh, procedural boring stuff and votes on rules and things of that nature. 
So were there did did anything come out that uh, any surprises or anything that that you felt like you weren't really looking for uh, in the meeting? No, no, nothing too. Uh, no, nothing too surprising. I mean, obviously, when you're trying to build a league uh, from scratch, uh, there are going to be some some uh, some surprises, and uh, so this is is no different. Um, you know, the thing that's unique about NISA is that it is all independent teams, and you know, we liken it to the uh, you know, there was, as we said at the meeting, there was um, 13 years between, uh, uh, is it the yeah, 13? I guess that's right. Between the, between the Declaration of Independence and the, and the Senate Constitution, it's hard when you're trying to get a bunch of independent teams together, as opposed to surrendering to a central authority that can just tell everybody what to do. Um, uh, you know, that's that's it's tough. So uh, there are a lot of a lot of conversations and debates, but uh, but all good. Does there seem to be some like does CFC do you have like any like closer relationships with with some owners and some teams versus like you know I guess others or is like their cooperation and that sort of thing going on? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think um, you know uh, Sean Mann at Detroit and I are pretty close personally, and you know we the clubs are kind of evil twins in a way, I suppose. And so and and then Oakland, uh, those guys came in to the league. It's, same time we did and i've gotten quite close to to the folks in oakland so the three of us are are kind of the three amigos i'd say in a lot of respects well some of the weird news that's happened in the past like few weeks is you know uh the cosmos kind of coming in uh to the league yep. and there was a you know there's a lot of speculation out there that you know they were going to quote unquote get blackballed out of this league and a lot of conspiratorial type stuff uh can you yep. can you speak to that in terms of like how they came on board yeah, well, I mean, look, it was all very straightforward. I mean, I don't know, you know, uh, nobody ever said anything to me of that nature. I, I mean, I certainly understand the line of reasoning and the concern, but it was a, a clean, uh, clean vote uh, without debate. And um, yeah, I mean, look, we're all really excited to to have them on board. I think there are risks considering the, you know, um, you know, considering the uh, the lawsuit and all that, which is all public pressure record but uh look it's the clearly the right thing to do and the counterfactual um it was just unacceptable i mean the notion of you know not admitting them was just not bull yeah it really never made sense to you know if you're if you're if you're going to be a a, a real open league and 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 create kind of what those like kind of a lower barrier for entry into professional soccer and you're going to allow you know, clubs, you know, no, I don't mean any, you know, many, I don't, I don't mean any ill will towards, towards Michigan stars, but if you're going to allow a club like Michigan stars in, it really makes zero sense to turn around and then give a, a club with the history and the, you know, the brand, as they say, uh, of, of New York. Uh, It just makes no sense to to turn them away. No. Yeah. No, that's a hundred percent right. And uh, you know, again, the professional league standards, were meant to sort of uh, serve as a, uh, a proxy, as I've said many times before, for you know for a team's uh, readiness to play soccer at this level. But it's I can tell you it's not a sufficient proxy in of itself. Um, it, you know, there's a lot more to it than just having you know a net worth of ten million dollars. Do you? Um, and this is kind of going off our script a little bit, but do you? Is Nisa at all interested in? talking to the ussf about those pls and potential changes in the future 
you know, I mean, look, I think we all are. Everybody's got uh, an opinion. I mean, we just want what's best for the stability of lower league American soccer. But, you know, I mean, the, the league itself is in no position to be, you know, <laughs> yeah. dictating anything to American to U.S. soccer at this point. We just we just hope we secure uh, sanctioning. And, uh, you know, we the, the um, you know, technically Chattanooga, Detroit and Oakland haven't even been admitted yet because that vote, you know, uh, to uh, to approve our sanctioning team sanctioning mm. comes at a U.S. soccer meeting in early December, I think. Oh, okay. So we're not in a position to be asking anybody anything. Okay. So I was going to say, yeah, I'm not going to wait till uh, till that boat's over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I guess we're not in the tent yet. Yeah. So so for spring. So after that vote, I guess the spring setup will will, will be set. Correct. That there are, are there ten teams that are lined up yes. to play in the spring. I believe that's right. Uh, I probably should know that off the top of my head, but I do not. I, we took uh, Jeremy Allenbaugh, our, our incoming uh, managing director, general manager, mm-hmm. call him what you will. Managing director is what we're choosing to call him. But uh, he, he went along to the meeting, and very frankly, I let him take the detailed notes. So okay. um, he and Olivier Lamette, my executive manager, all went, and uh, we took took plenty of notes. But I, I think the number is 10, but I think it's uh, – I think – uh, I'm, I'm frankly not sure off the top of my head. Enough. Yeah, I, I guess the, the, the big question, you know, is there any possible fast-tracking of any of the, you know, allegedly there are apparently, I guess for, I've seen reports that there were four clubs that went in for approval, you know, kind of initial NISA approval um, at these mm. meetings. Like the Cosmos was one, a second New York team, what I've heard, and then a team from New Jersey, and then, Miami Beach are the four that I've seen reported that um, that uh, that put in applications. Is there any possibility yeah. of fast tracking any of those for spring, or, or are they all coming in in the fall? I doubt it very seriously. I mean, I think um, I think I guess there's a possibility for the Cosmos because the Cosmos are certainly ready to play, but that that is up to U.S. Soccer and the Cosmos. Okay, um, but I think that would be the only possibility and i think that's yeah i mean it's just exactly that a possibility okay so some of the other issues that that we have received um, questions about from you know from well from our from our two listeners <laughs> uh were around international roster limits i know that 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 is something mm-hmm. that u.s soccer has in the pls that you know requires leagues to kind of set some kind of some some limit doesn't really say what that limit is I know there are limits in MLS and, and the USL leagues have limits. Was that a topic of conversation uh, during the meetings? Yeah, yes, it definitely was. Um, and again, at this point, you know, uh, we're in no position to dictate terms to U.S. soccer. But, um, you know, philosophically, I've made it quite clear that, uh, you know, our position is that we that, that more is better. I mean, the idea is that you're protecting a domestic player, player pool and therefore developing the player pool further but really i mean my opinion has always been that it's really just it's really no different than regular old uh protectionism in in trade you don't you know you our players will tell you you don't get better by playing with players that are worse than you you get better by playing with players that are better than you and you know the international rule i think was you know meant to uh, the idea is that you'll let the domestic players um develop but uh I think I mean look, there's a Goldilocks point there. Obviously, if we had all the international players and no American players had any opportunity, that wouldn't be great. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's definitely a balance point to be struck. And being in a smaller market like Chattanooga, um, where we don't have as big a pool of domestic player talent because it's a you know relatively small market, certainly the smallest market in the in the league, um, we would like to have a higher uh, roster limit for internationals. But right now that number stands at seven, and and uh, the coaching staff has indicated they can work with that. You know, uh, they just need to know, and uh, so we'll we'll figure it out. Based on my brief conversations with a Michigan Stars owner, I think you would uh, garner an ally with him in, in that. I think he was definitely uh, leaning towards yep. as many international spots as possible. Well, he is from uh, – he's an interesting guy, George. He's from the former uh, Yugoslavia, from Montenegro, actually. And um, he – yeah, I think he um, – he, 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 yes, we share the same – we share the same uh, uh, viewpoint, and I think he uh, – you know, the good news, I guess, potentially, is that there are a lot of the teams that that don't want that many roster spots, don't need them. And so I think the best we can hope for is if they allow us to trade spots around. But that, at this point, is not has, has not been approved. And, um, you know, so that's that's what we'll be trying to get done. But I don't see it happening, certainly not for the spring. Yeah, I guess that was the next question that, that did come up. I, you know, those are tradable assets in some other leagues. And so, you know, what I heard you just say is currently the, those are not tradable. It's seven for, per club. That's right. Yeah. I mean, we're still on, on uh, again, it's, we're just kind of, wouldn't say pins and needles with the, with the U.S. soccer, but we're, yeah. we can't be, <laughs> you know, I mean, I think they're, they're rightly, the, the league management is rightly, uh, you know, uh, hat in hand still and not really in a position to be sort of, uh, asking for exceptions and dictating terms. Sure. So, so the other big thing I think that uh, that uh, folks are very interested in is just talking about the schedule. I know it's a it's a fall spring uh, league, and so they had a fall. Mm-hmm. Sh- you know, we had a fall showcase with a limited number of teams, or adding some teams, and having, I guess, for lack of a better phrase, a spring showcase uh, with these yep. with these ten clubs. Um, what 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 does the schedule look like for starting times uh, in the spring? Uh, March again. The northern teams are going to have an issue with snow, so we're but early March, I think. Um, and uh, we'll just you know uh, Brian Malekian is uh, uh, the the gosh what's his title? He's not the commissioner, but he's essentially the CEO of the league. Is working very hard to get the schedule worked out. Um, but there will be a, a certainly an interesting competitive. Uh, element to it, even though it's kind of a tail season, uh, they're going to find a way to, to make it a, a competition. And then we've got the U S open cup to look forward to as well. So, you know, so I guess talking about that, you know, NISA being, being a, a pro league, uh, there are requirements in PLS that professional teams participate in you in the U S open cup. So, and I, I can't remember, I read this, this may have been a very old article that I came across uh, over the past couple of days that there were some questions about, Nisa's uh, qualification for for U.S. Open Cup. So it sounds like the the clubs are qualified for it and are expected to participate. Yes, I mean, again, we we heard the presentation from Paul Paul Marsteller at the meeting, uh, who who I'd known from from uh, he came in town and, and ran the exhibition games that we had here for the U.S. Men's and Women's National Team. He also runs the U.S. Open Cup, and he gave us a fine presentation on the history of the tournament and the the details of the competition. So. Uh, provided the league, uh, you know, retains its sanctioning, and we all are sanctioned, and you know, again, that's it's not that's not over, of course, till the fat lady sings. But um, 
provided that's all the case, and we assume that it is, uh, we will be playing in the U.S. Open Cup uh, in the uh, uh, in D3 professional spots in the spring. Um, one thing that Todd and I were talking about, uh, you know, I, I laid out kind of the, the clubs that we have, the clubs that, that those four that, um, that I've heard had, had, had made applications. You know, we've got two uh, already announced uh, clubs out there, NISA, Connecticut, for lack of a better phrase, and NISA, Prov- Providence. Um, and, and then we have the Fury kind of out there somewhere. Um, yeah. This is a very, when you lay out the clubs, this is a very East Coast heavy league right now. Uh, I'm, this may be a league question. You may not be able to answer this, but, you know, how are, what are talks or are there talks or are you aware of talks to, to pull in some more Midwest or Western, uh, West Coast teams to kind of balance this league out a bit? Yeah, certainly. So Sean Mann and I are on the, um, uh, expansion committee and and yes, I mean the, the leagues and talks with teams all over the place, uh, and their you know league management is acutely aware of the need to to achieve some geographic balance. So um, they're working on it. Okay, Todd? best I can oh. do for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I said, that may be a better question from from the league perspective, but it's just interesting that when we we lay them out, it's. Uh, you know, it's exciting to have the 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 number of clubs that are that have been rumored or been associated with NISA, just the ones that we know. Um, the number of teams, you know, it's up to about sixteen, which is, I think, a you know, a a, a great number to to start with. Um, and the names of the teams and the where they're located, I think, is 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 encouraging. And um, you know, so I I, I would um, I'm looking much forward to to kind of the, the league filling out a little bit in the middle of the country and, and out west. Yeah, we we are as well. It's uh, it's a tough. It's a what's what's both encouraging. I think both an opportunity and perhaps a threat is that a lot of these are groups that are excited by the uh, uh, the kind of the philosophical positioning of the league and and. Uh, but you know, starting a team from scratch is is tough. It is. Uh, I think that's one thing that um, Atlanta and Charlotte both learned. It's a hell of a lot harder. Than it looks. It's and it's again back to the professional league standards. It's a hell of a lot more complicated than just saying you're going to do it. And so, uh, but we, you know, uh, league and 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 you know, all the teams have have got a plan in place. To you know, we had a session there where. You know, we're sharing regular best practices and helping those teams who've never kicked the ball, um, you know, figure it out so they can get up and running uh, and not miss a beat. Oakland, uh, notably, has done a fantastic job of that. Uh, they they started from scratch and, and did not miss a beat. So they are currently our, um, you know, kind of poster child uh, for how to do it correctly in a very short period of time. Yeah, that's pretty remarkable when you look at it. And it is, but it's taken kind of trailblazing clubs like CFC, like Detroit, to kind of uh, plow that way forward. But but it is remarkable though when you look at Oakland uh, from the time that they announced to to this point. I mean, them coming on board has has been very expedient. The execution and like mm-hmm. you know their their colors, all their announcements, their everything they've done has been so on point. And it does seem to be a blueprint for how to do that, where if you have the will and the, and the, the money no, no. to do it, it can be expedited over a very short period of time. Uh, yeah. They, they I, could I not be incredible. No, it is incredible. Listen, I, I've, I've told somebody at the meeting that very thing. I mean, I, 
I am in awe of those guys. And and very frankly, they're they're very uh, uh, candid and gracious about about being in debt to us and the clubs that came before them to to show them the initial blueprint. But they have really taken it to the next level. They've just got such an incredible team of uh, of smart and talented people from a marketing and a um, and a design and a logistics perspective. I mean, they have done it. They have done it incredibly well. It's it's a startup, and and uh, the guy owners Stephen and, and Barney are uh, you know are, are very, have done very well in the kind of the VC world out there, and they get it. They're very comfortable with risk, and it's it is it's pretty awe inspiring because it's a different, you know, it's a different. The Bay Area has a very different form of business culture than most of the rest of the country, and it is a really great example of great distillation of that of that culture, and it's it is something to behold. I mean, it's they're they're good. Do you think right now, like given the size of the league and it's trying to start, do you think it's more important to bring a team on, like say over the course of twelve months? Uh, or last six to 12 months, or do you think it's more important that when they come on that they, whether it takes, you know, a year or two years to get it right? Well, that's a very good question uh, because I used to think the former and now I think the latter um, because again, I didn't appreciate uh, uh, because, you know, look, we, we boiled the lobster very slowly as it were. We had 10 years to kind of ramp up uh, organically um, and I didn't appreciate how hard it would be, yeah, starting from you know starting from nothing, because we all suffer from the old uh, corridor effect, right? So you know you, we we know what we know, and and we're our, we're down our own hallways of experience, and so you know I never imagined how difficult it might be starting from scratch, but it's tough. It's 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 very difficult, and and uh, so uh, I, at this point would much rather see the league grow slowly. Uh, and properly than just to bring on teams willy-nilly. It's exciting, you know, to think about all these new teams coming on. And, um, uh, you know, uh, well, it's 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 really exciting. And, and, and the groups are enthusiastic, but, you know, it's tough. So we actually had a lot of discussions about uh, what, what the right procedure should be to make sure that folks slow down and get it done correctly rather than just jump in possibly fail. So kind of I'll follow up on that question a little bit. So that there's that there must be there's got to be a kind of a an uh, and not really an opposite pressure or opposing pressure to to build the league to show stability so that this this the elephant in the room this you know this temporary sanctioning provisional sanctioning um you know can can be taken care of. So there's got to be kind of dueling ideas here. You want to go slow to make sure we don't have situations you know like a fury who who well, for whatever reason decided that they needed to they played a couple of games and they were like oh we're going to take the rest of it off um but also have enough clubs to where that it, it shows well i mean frankly it shows fans of the clubs it shows investors and it shows maybe most importantly u.s soccer that the league is is viable and and can grow so how how do, how do you got how does the league and yeah. you kind of play off those two opposing um kind of stressors well that's i mean you summed it up nicely it is a the proverbial goldilocks problem um you know we have to grow fast enough uh but not too fast so that's i mean i don't know what more i could add to it it's 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 exactly that but i would just say um i think we're all in agreement that the premium needs to be placed on the teams of of, of the highest quality that can uh 
that can perform reliably. So shifting gears a, a little bit to, to just CFC, you know, we, we got to meet Jeremy. Uh, there was a, a, an article that reported that uh, Coach Fuller would be, you know, listed as the head coach, that Coach Elliott would be, yep. I guess, technical director. I know that Owen has come on as chief marketing um, officer. And uh, could you uh, – there yep. was a question that we had in our uh, – that we did with, with the uh, the joint podcast with the, the Section 109 guys – um, where, where some people were asking, you know, what does the FO look like? Could you kind of give us a, um, you know, an overview of, of now that we've, we've hired some additional full-time folks, what is the structure kind of of the FO? Um, and, uh, I guess in your words, well, what we're going to do, uh, you know, we spent a tremendous amount of time and energy finding Jeremy and we couldn't be happier that we did find him. He's, he just literally couldn't go build a Frankenstein monster of a, of a general manager any better if you if you could do that. I mean, he, he's just, I still pinch myself that we got him, you know, but he's uh, he's great. And uh, I know, you know, I've run enough businesses to know that you, you know, you hire a manager and then you let him figure that stuff out, right? So uh, we're not just going to give him a, you know, a, a free reign to do whatever he wants. But close to it, you know, I mean, he 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 will decide. It was unusual, very frankly, that we would have hired Owen Seaton even before uh, before Jeremy. Normally, we'd hire a managing director and let him mm. hire all his own people. But Owen is such a talent. Uh, I mean, again, we're we're freakishly lucky to have Owen uh, as well. So that was one, and and those two are already, um, you know, making a great team. So you know, below that, you know, we will leave it to Jeremy to. Uh, to structure and decide. Um, we have offered, um, you know, there'll be a formal announcement, but uh, a position to, I'll just say, a young woman who who has worked for the club in the past, who is very beloved by uh, all the staff, and so she's graduating from school and will be coming back to to work for the club full time. Um, and then, of course, we have all the folks that are there currently. But I feel uh, fantastic about the the prospects of the front office. Uh, I mean, we'll now be at a at a level, a professional level, you know, at or above, um, you know, where where I feel like it would have to be to succeed at this level. So, uh, I'm 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 sleeping a lot better at night these days. <laughs> so is it is it fair to say that the so I, I when I when I look at the titles and when I look at what I assume I know about the how fo- how football clubs are organized. Uh, around the world, it seems like you've got you know you've got the business side of the house, you've got the football side of the house. Now, of course, those they're not mutually exclusive. One one impacts the other. Um, is is Jeremy kind of the 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 guy at the top of the of the pyramid, or are there two columns that then kind of uh, report to you as the chairman or to or to the board? You know, uh, we're making a transition from. A- pretty unusual structure where the board was much more involved in day-to-day management to, to a more traditional structure where, you know, the board is, is less involved. And, you know, we, you know, uh, we deputize or appoint Jeremy to, to, you know, to do as he sees fit. And then we, and then we, you know, uh, keep in touch with him regularly, obviously. And the board sets the strategy and Jeremy executes strategy. You know, we made it clear when he was coming on board that, the technical side was, um, you know, it was fine. We the, so there is a little bit of a dual reporting thing there, and that Bill okay. and Peter 
um, have been with the club a long time, and Jeremy has a lot of experience in that area, uh, should it ever become necessary. But as we described it to Jeremy, he's got plenty of work to do on the business uh, and the revenue side, and he understands that 100%. Uh, so that is where he's going to be focused. Uh, I guess finally, just if you could talk a little bit about what you guys think of, or what does success really look like for for the club in the spring, both you know on the field and off the field. I know that we've got there's there's a there's a, a long way to go. You know, we I, as far as I know, we haven't had any kind of any players really announced yet for the spring. Um, but you know what. Kind of, what do you think early? You know, it's early days to talk about this, but why not? Well, what what do you what what do you think of as success for the club, kind of on the field and off the field? Well, on the field, you know, it's it's going to just be being competitive. I mean, it's no secret that we're the smallest market in NISA, and you know, we got a couple of owners that are billionaires, and so uh, for whom you know, losing vast sums of money is is. is not a problem and uh, we don't have that luxury. So we've, we've got to be, you know, uh, frugal with our payroll. And uh, so, you know, being competitive when you've got very free spending um, uh, competitors is, is, is going to be tough, but we have the right staff to do that. Bill and Peter, and even Jeremy all come from backgrounds where they, they know how to get it done. And we have, you know, we have Chattanooga and we have the Chattahooligans and, and, you know, so we've got some things that, uh, that are sort of a 12th man X factor that other, that other teams don't have. Um, and so there are a lot of players that will want to play here that may not, that are, you know, that are less concerned about the transactional value of the dollar amount they're getting paid. So I feel confident those guys can build a competitive team and, you know, God, I'd love to see them, you know, uh, win it all. You, you can, you can say, but being competitive to me, um, is that's the main thing, right? Uh, being being able to stay on the field, we did that in the fall, and hopefully we can we can uh, eke out a little more improvement um, in the spring, maybe even do a little better. Off the field, you know, success is is tickets and sponsorship, uh, and and we've got a big we got a big job to do there. You know, we've got a, our budget is almost twice what it historically has been. So we're going to be, you know, taking a much more organized professional approach to the sponsorship sales, and we need to sell a lot of sponsorships. And Owen Seaton's going to be key to structuring that. And uh, and then, you know, season ticket and and gate ticket wise, again, we're we're we we're, we've got to do, you know, uh, considerably more than we've done in the past. So that's why gearing that front office up with a first-rate professional staff with experience was so important because. Uh, you know, if we we don't hit those numbers, we got a problem. So, um, and and very frankly, you know, it's it's not complicated. The more we're, we're not, you know, we're not in this to return some uh, giant check to shareholders. We're, you know, and I'm sorry for our supporter shareholders that may be listening, but <laughs> minute, the what? idea is to what, at Tim? least, yeah, right. Uh, I mean, if it happens, great. I'm gonna have but, to go. I'm gonna have to go reallocate my retirement. Yeah, no, I. <laughs> I, this is what I. <laughs> this is my retirement plan. This is my uh, retirement plan, Tim. I don't yeah. Know. Well, the crazy thing about it is, you know, the 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 value in sports clubs is in the the growth of the asset value, and and uh, for what it's worth, uh, the day we become a professional club, um, Alakazam, uh, on paper, the club certainly, you know, it's a little silly to me, but 
suddenly the club becomes worth a lot more money, whether it's making money or losing money. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is you can't, you know, you got to have cash to pay players and that comes from tickets and sponsorship. So, you know, you want better players sponsor or buy a season ticket package or get your neighbors to, because that's where the money comes from. It's really simple. There's no tooth fairy. Uh, it's, it's just really that simple. So, uh, you know, that's the job. We've got to go out there and, um, and sell, sell, sell in order to, uh, or for the players that we want to be able to, to hire. Hey, Tim, I want to touch on something real quick. You talked about uh, Chattanooga uh, being the smallest market, uh, not having the billionaire owners and that sort of thing. And, and it kind of reminded me of kind of the way I see Chattanooga, right? Kind of the underdog, yeah. kind of like playing yep. with a chip on our shoulder. And it seems like that's where we were in previous years. And over maybe over the past like one to two years, we kind of became the target and the front runner. And it seems like an uncomfortable position, at least you know, as a as somebody who supports CFC and that sort of thing. Like I'm used to being like an underdog, and, and yep. so it was an awkward position. But it seems like we're going to kind of be going back into this role, and uh, that might be kind of a rallying point, you know, for the team. Is like it may end up being a team of of underdogs that play with a chip on their shoulder and has a little, little extra bite in their game. Well, I totally agree with you, and I, I think that is very much in the character of Chattanooga. And it's much more kind of who we are as a club, which reflects very much the character of Chattanooga. And so you're correct. It's a great observation. And that is exactly uh, where we will be because, you know, we're, 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 you know, again, this is where we have, we're going to have a big advantage, hopefully, in terms of just a, a marketing pitch to, uh, to fans in town, particularly vis-a-vis uh, our, uh, our, our other, uh, the other club across town, because we're not playing, you know, South Georgia. We're playing, you know, Detroit, Miami, um, you know, we're playing New York, we're playing much bigger cities, uh, much bigger clubs with much bigger budgets. So, you know, the this is not uh, Bush League stuff. And, and that, again, is very much, you know, Chattanooga's always been about being the David versus the Goliath and outpunching our weight, and that's very much what we're going to have to do. Uh, my other question was about the CMO, Owen. Um, just just a quick yes or no on this. Uh, when you were considering him for the position, did the fact that he was a Tottenham supporter did that weigh? Did that factor in at all? <laughs> it did not. He, believe it or not, he's so far beyond our pay grade. I mean, this guy ran international champions cup uh, games. You know, uh, from a from a broadcast production perspective, the you know the Kentucky Derby. I mean, it, again, our secret weapon is the city of Chattanooga itself. And he wanted to get back here, and he wanted to get back here a lot worse. I mean, he could be somewhere. In many ways, there are a lot of people in Chattanooga who could be somewhere else making more money, but they choose to be here. And Owen is the classic example of that uh, because he loves the city, and he loves the club, and he wanted to be back here. So that, that's just the Tottenham thing is just icing on a cake. Although, I will say, this son of a bitch, you might have to bleep this out, sent me to, I, he went to London for this uh, broadcast. Uh, uh, conference at Chelsea, and he he sent me he sent me he said oh I just lucked up on a, a ticket to the Olympiacos game you know and I got an extra ticket too wish you were here and so I sent him a long string of expletives because uh, that was totally unnecessary. <laughs> what was the what so you you, you referenced his trip uh, and I told him that you know I I, I you know he he went to London and didn't take me with him I mean certainly as the marketing officer. Yeah. 
the you know you, he would want a rep of one of the one of the top podcasts he would want to take with him i would sure I, you know I, yeah so. the, the the problem is one the, of the top yeah. Five. <laughs> yeah right yeah the, the problems of the fair i mean look i didn't go i could have gone i had other things going on but i've got to actually go to liverpool for a transfer conference of all things on sunday so uh um that's the part of the club business that i'm completely unfamiliar with and Yes, to that, the 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 Vitesse, ex Vitesse CEO um, asked me to come over there, and I'm I'm going to do a deep dive into you know how the transfer market works and meet some folks. Uh, so I couldn't really you know budgetarily or or, yeah. or schedule wise do two trips to the UK back to back. So I let him go to London on his own, and I I already regret it. But uh, <laughs> you know, well, pulled it out today oh, against Olympiacos after a rough start. Could you touch on that a little bit uh, about the uh, uh, the gentleman that came over from Vitesse and, and what yep. what he shared with you guys? Well, you know, he presented just before. You know, I did this presentation. I, I love reminding Sean Man every time I see him. I I have my jacket on that they gave me for presenting at the Young Cruyff Institute. And I, I tell Sean, did I <laughs> mention that they invited me to come and speak? And it annoys him to no end. So, uh, but but. David presented just before me and we kind of became friends. And so afterwards he offered to come over and uh, do a, a consultancy for us with, for nothing more than the, the travel costs. And he did, and he gave us some very valuable information. And, uh, and one of the things was that, you know, entering the professional ranks, I mean, um, very frankly, it's a lot like being in the used car business. I mean, you've got to wheel and deal on players and contracts and, um, that's the one part of the club that I will probably still be uh, closely involved in, um, you know, as Jeremy ramps up because I'm probably the guy with the best skill set to do it. But so that's that's the idea. He he thought it would be a good idea if I would come over there and and attend this conference in Liverpool. So that's what I'm doing. That is, that's that's but awesome will, to have that sort of impact and connection to be able to get. Oh that. well, look, I that's, mean, that's just priceless. No, it is priceless. He he's going to be on our advisory boards, not to be confused by board of directors, as is Oliver Seitz, who's the director of the Johan Cruyff Institute uh, in Barcelona. Uh, and so those guys have got some serious, obviously, horsepower. They love what we're doing, and they're going to be a great resource for uh, for Jeremy as well. So who 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 is putting on that? Is that an EFL conference, or who is Liverpool, the club, putting that on, or who who puts on? No, the... it's an independent. Uh, it's an independently run conference um very frankly i don't know much about it other mm-hmm. than the fact that i'm i'm showing up but uh but no it's it's an independently uh run and managed um i think it's basically a flea market for for agents <laughs> oh, okay sounds <laughs> real classy yeah <laughs> Uh, I, yeah, I, look, I'm not expecting much. Agents, agents don't have the best rep anyway. <laughs> than when it's a flea market, no, they, they don't. Agents. No, they don't. That's why I made the used car salesman analogy. <laughs> the, the most successful agents, uh, without a, you know, almost without exception, in Europe were were either started out as bartenders or you know car guys. So I should fit right in. This is going to be amazing. I, you know what? I'm liking our odds more and more. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Me too. So I, I had a, an opportunity to speak a little bit with uh, Tim from the You're Smarter Than Us podcast over in Asheville, and, and a question he asked me is one that I've I've talked about with other supporters, and I think we we mentioned we talked about it a little bit on our joint podcast. He asked me how I felt Chattanooga embraced fall soccer, and in, in, in greater how Chattanooga is embracing 
CFC as a professional club. What from from where you sit, what do you see as you know, I spent a little bit of time talking about the the struggles with the fall attendance and weather. Um, but outside of that, you know, what what do you see as the reaction to um, you know the, the of CFC you know putting forward the owners uh, the owner the supporter owner uh, campaign and and going pro what what has been the the overall reaction from the community that uh, that you've seen? Well, look, I mean, I think we've all just been amazed and gratified by it, not only within Chattanooga, but I, I, honestly, I mean, we had seventy five plus applicants for the job that we ultimately offered to Jeremy, and many of them, Jeremy included. Uh, mentioned the supporter ownership thing as one of the things that they that kind of electrified them about the opportunity. So uh, I mean, in retrospect, it was the it was the smartest thing we ever did, um, and I'm su- surprised that nobody's done it yet. But again, it was also the luckiest thing because had we not, you know, built the affinity with the fan base, you got to do that first, or 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 nobody cares if they own a share in your club, right? So. Um, yeah, it's been great. It's been wonderful. I, I will say the, you know, the, I don't place much premium on the notion of the word professional. Yeah. Uh, but I've come to realize that a lot of people do and, and we have yet to really leverage that from a marketing perspective. And so it'll be interesting to see how that goes rolling forward. Um, I've always found it to be a little, um, um, uh, well, it's not disingenuous. It's just kind of silly because there's not really a, you know, bright line between the two, but as far as, you know, the minds of most Americans there is. And so, you know, Hey, we'll, uh, we're going to make the most of that. Well, Tim, it's, yeah, it's been great to have you on and, and I'm sure we'll, we'll, you know, as, as the, the year goes on and we get back into playing, we'd love to have you back on and, and, and talk more about kind of where CFC is going. I know there's a lot of other conversations that we didn't get to, uh, you know, I'm sure somebody out there, is screaming for me to ask the women's club question or the women's team question. I know that I know that there was a, a presentation made um, before the board, yep. but I, but uh, I don't know if if you. I was not there for that, so so we're both off the hook. Okay, because uh, I was out of town when that was made. But I mean, I would say I can all I can say for sure sure is that we mean it when we say we're dedicated to the women's game, a hundred percent. Uh, but saying it and doing it are two very different things. And I would say, you know, if anybody listening um, wants to step forward or anybody that knows anybody that is, that is capable, uh, qualified, and, and philosophically aligned with our message, you know, what, what the club really lacks is somebody to, uh, um, you know, carry the ball, um, quite literally. Uh, because, you know, again, we have got all that we can handle doing the doing the business of making of of, of making this transition to to Nisa. So you know, uh, as we did um, in with the prior incarnation of the of the women's club, we need a person who can uh, who can take it on and then and take advantage of the synergies with the existing club without requiring a ton of care care and feeding. And so far, we haven't found that person, but. Uh, if anybody out there listening thinks that they're the person, then they should step forward. I'll tell you what, Tim. Uh, give me give me something whether 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 it's something we can we can talk about on the podcast or whether it's something you just would rather not. Can you just throw us one just something juicy out there to look forward to? Oh wow! Um, gosh, 
I think you'll be, we're talking to some really interesting um, parties about, uh, you know, uh, about coming to play for us, to say that. Not in Zlatan, but I think we'll see how it all pans out. I think, I think you'll Any, find anybody, yeah. anybody that is originally from Chattanooga? Hmm. Uh, no, I know what you're thinking of, I think, but, um, he's quite happy <laughs> yeah. in Oakland, but, uh, wow. no, no, but it, it but it, but it'll be, uh, that, that will be, that will be interesting for sure. And I would also say, Ooh. uh, from a marketing perspective, you can, you can expect some, some crazy great things out of Owen Seaton. I mean, part of what he's doing in London is, uh, taking notes from uh, Chelsea and, uh, you know, that, that he will definitely take our media presence to another level. There's no question. All right. Well, I'll be looking forward to uh, Zlatan pinning in the Times Free Press. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> yeah. I mean, never say never, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think he's talking about Pulisic. Um, that's probably who. That's probably who he's talking about, Todd. So Pulisic to CFC. I think, you know, yeah, we have a better chance of getting Zlatan. <laughs> from one Zlatan CFC would, would sit right in in Chattanooga. It's it's right up his alley in terms of ethos. But you know, I think we're missing a couple of. <laughs> Zeros <laughs> to be able to have that conversation. Oh yeah, yeah, that would that would definitely be. Hey Sam, thanks something. a lot, man. I Thank y'all. Appreciate you coming on tonight. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. always, yeah. always fun. Yeah, thanks so much again. Thanks, we'll, we'll probably okay. we'll probably catch up later. Uh, again, that was CFC Chairman of the Board Tim Kelly. Again, thanks uh, to him for joining us. Now we're going to take you to uh, our next interview of the evening, which is with John Frusciante of the First Team Podcast, uh, which is a New York Cosmos-centric podcast. And he uh, took some time out of his schedule uh, to talk about uh, the Cosmos and then uh, the news of them being admitted to uh, NISA. So uh, enjoy this interview, and we'll catch you on the other side. to the 4-3-3 Soccer Pod. We are joined by John Frusciante with the First Team Podcast, which does the uh, New York Cosmos-centric po uh, podcast. How's it going up there in the, uh, well, it's the warm north, I guess, today? Yeah. It's warm at the most seven degrees today. So, yeah, it was warm before a November day. Well, let's just get right into it, man. The last time we talked, uh, I think you had kind of uh, voiced some I guess, um, reservation of the idea of the Cosmos joining NISA or really any professional league in, in the U.S. And as we stand, uh, the Cosmos are set to join NISA, uh, been, yeah, pending approval and everything. Uh, so uh, what's, your, what's your take on this, on, on where, where you've come? Yeah, so I guess it all started with the Cosmos can join because of the lawsuit. And then I guess eventually, because I don't know what happened exactly behind the scenes um, within the Cosmos management team, but I guess they sort of realized that it's not going to hurt the lawsuit. You know what I mean? Because it's the NASL suing the U.S. Soccer Federation and not the New York Cosmos, because you have Miami FC that joined Nisa. They played in the NASL that they are going to build a stadium, right? So... Those are former NASL teams that sort of show that you can, that you can be successful um, outside of the lawsuit. So I think it's great for the Cosmos, but I think the um, the thing that we have to watch out for is are we going to see um, the same Cosmos team 
like we saw in the NASL days. So are we going to see them playing in Long Island at Mitchell Complex? So for people that don't live in New York City, are they going to spend a lot of money and and get decent players in and play at a proper venue? Or are they just going to uh, flow under the radar? But that's especially difficult because you have David Villa's team coming in. in um, I forgot what year exactly, but he's joining uh, the USL with his team, Queensboro FC. Um, and then you got the MLS club. So in New York City, you can't really um, flow under the radar. You got to market and get good players and win, really. You know what I mean? So um, I think it's going to be very interesting in NISA in 2020. I think um, in the release, it said the fall 2020 that the Cosmos will join. I think that's going to be very difficult um, for the players to stay around because if we don't play any competitive matches in the spring, uh, then we're probably not going to see the same type of players that we've saw over the past couple of seasons in the NASL, in, in the NPSL, and in Members' Cup, um, like the likes of maybe Danny Satella or Bloody Bardage, right? So uh, it should be very interesting. We actually just had an interview with uh, Tim Kelly, and he kind of uh, mentioned the same thing about – we. You know, uh, Jim asked him if it was a possibility for some, a team like the Cosmos to fast track to the uh, spring showcase. He said that he, if there was a team that could do it, it was the Cosmos, and the Cosmos would just have to basically do what it, whatever was in their best interest. And you know, and of course, obviously, what the league wanted to do as well. Yeah. Um, see, when you put it like that. When Rocco first bought the team, I think that was 2017, and um, it was basically his final year in the NASL, or the Cosmos' final year in the NASL, and Rocco's final year owning the team in the NASL, um, and first year. Uh, he bought the team, and he moved to MCU Park, signed players, put like a great marketing campaign together, commercials that we've never seen before, and all of that, and there was so much excitement around the Cosmos. Uh, especially outside of Long Island, right? Where before, that's all they played was Hofstra. So I don't see why the Cosmos can't play in the spring or in the summer. Uh, Misa. And um, see, Rocco's a billionaire, right? So I don't think anyone's going to overshadow that or look past that and think that the Cosmos can't put a great team together or can't run the field and do what they need to do to to hit the field and play competitive soccer. So, yeah, so in addition to that, you mentioned Queensboro FC. Uh, we got some other news mm-hmm. in, right before the NISA meetings that there were four teams that were applying for, uh, for approval from the NISA Board of Governors. One was the Cosmos. Then, of course, then there was the, the Miami Beach team that has a presence online. They've got some colors, just like everything else in, in Miami. It has to be teal and something. So they, they've got a website, and, and, and they have a presence. But then the two other teams that had applied were a second team in New York and a New Jersey team uh, that would be coming yeah. in. Um, and so what, what's your rea- how, what have you heard about those other two teams in your area? Uh, in addition to Queensboro, and and you know what what is the reaction? What is your reaction? What are the Cosmos fans' reaction to that? Now that would be six kind of professional teams, soccer teams in the kind of the New York, the greater New York area. 
I think New York City is a it's a great city, uh, but when it comes to soccer, I think it's very interesting because Danny Satella, I had him on the show, I think it was last week, and he was saying how like New York City can have, I think it said like 10 teams or something like that, and they probably can, but it's just so difficult because you have your traditional New York teams or American sport teams, and then you have the Cosmos that are trying, and then you got the Red Bulls in New Jersey, and then you got NYCFC that doesn't have their own stadium, but they're playing in Nike Stadium. And then you have Queensboro, which I think they're going to play at a college, and then they're going to build a stadium somewhere. Um, yeah, I would like to see more teams because I think that would increase the excitement for the sport and have more rivalries and more derbies in the same league, which I think would be the, the best thing for the Cosmos because we didn't have that in the NASL or we didn't really have any local rivals. On New Jersey, um, I was trying to figure out what team that is, but if I had to take a guess, I don't think it's a team that's already established. I could be wrong. Because uh, I try to ask if it was Motown. I don't think it's Motown. So I'm not really sure. I don't think it's Atlantic City FC because I think Chris said it was Central Jersey. So, yeah, um, I think it would be cool to see more Cosmos and the Cosmos fans can can uh, hop in a car or do whatever, hop in a train to get to these uh, away matches and um, support the boys in green. You know, just right off the top of my head, I'll tell you, what this does make me think about is, you know, and Tim brought it up, like now that we are in NISA, the third division of American professional soccer, we will have entry into the U.S. Open Cup. And yeah. as such, you know, you will too, uh, the Cosmos will too. And looking at how that can really help the Cosmos in, in, in the city there, because chances are that if they win one or two games in that tournament, they'll probably get drawn against uh, one of the uh, two MLS uh, New York teams. I mean, that's happened several times in the past, correct? Yeah, the Cosmos. We played uh, the Rebels at Hofstra. We played NYCFC at Hofstra, and we beat them on compelling shots. And then we played NYCFC. Um, that's the craziness that is the U.S. Open Cup is that these MLS teams they they don't like to open up their stadiums midweek, uh, which I think is sad, right? I think that really undervalues. Uh, the, the tournament because you see in England and across the world like that's the excitement where in England if you're a lower division club you go to a stadium like uh, the Emirates Arsenal Stadium and they share the revenue on the gate that night right so it sort of helps the lower division clubs and maybe finances their club for the next couple of years but in U.S. soccer in the past I think it was last summer uh, DC United played uh, Crystal SFC and um they played in Maryland or something like that, and they had a smaller stadium. So to answer your question, yeah, it would be great to play local clubs like we did in the past, um, especially the MLS clubs. In those particular years when, when the Cosmos played those games, do you think it elevated uh, the profile of the team in those years? Like, Could, could you tell a difference in the stands? Yeah, yeah. Um, I forget what year it was exactly. But um, it was definitely the springtime that Cosmos played NYCFC at Hofstra University. And it was packed, right? You had NYCFC fans on one side uh, going crazy, of course. <laughs> and then you had the whole stadium was full of Cosmos supporters. And, um, yeah, it was a great atmosphere. And I don't know how many people knew about it outside of, I guess, the Cosmos and local soccer bubble. You know what I mean? Uh, and I think that's what... And I think that's the excitement of the New York City market 
And I think that's what every single club is trying to break through is trying to say, Hey, maybe you're not a soccer fan, but come see us and come see excited for us or be excited about us really. And, um, I think NYCFC is going to have a problem building their stadium because where would they build it really? Um, and yeah, the, the New York city market is fun. It's interesting. There's a lot of people, um, and there's a lot of, uh, people from different countries that love soccer you know what i mean but there's tons of teams to support and the cosmos have a great chance in 2020 to hopefully build on um what they've done in the past i'm docking this interview five minutes for mentioning uh well 10 minutes number one for mentioning arsenal and number two for (laughs) emirates so that's five minutes for each that's 10 minutes (laughs) Hey, we haven't, we haven't, we haven't, you know, Arsenal hadn't made an appearance. You you brought up, you know, John, I'll just have to say thank you for bringing up the Emirates and Arsenal cause, but, because, because Todd asked him, our owner, uh, about the other team in North London. So it was about time yeah. that Arsenal made an appearance. Um, in I the, wasn't happy about that either, so whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm definitely not an Arsenal fan, guys. Uh, so. What? <laughs> well... <laughs> Uh, not, you know we, what? I'm at five minutes back. We all have our faults. Um, <laughs> so you you briefly mentioned this, John. Did you have any info on on where the the Cosmos might be playing as a you know as a venue in the you know in 2020? No, I don't have an exact idea. Uh, but there's only a few venues to play at. You know what I mean? So yeah, New York City is this big city, but where do you call home? That's I guess the million dollar question here in New York City. I don't where know do you want ideally if obviously you can't build a stadium but ideally um, where do you think you would like to see the cosmos see i guess you have to go on what was successful in the past so in the past mcu park was somewhat successful in our final year in the nasl so i think if rocco and i think this is very important is that if rocco is going to invest 100 percent into the cosmos and is going to be committed all in in 2020, then I think you go to a professional venue and um, draw a lot of people to your matches and make it a big deal. But if he's not going to do that, then I think you have to go small time, which would be sad um, for the Cosmos, for the Cosmos brand, for playing in Nisa, right? Because I think a lot of fans, not just of the Cosmos, but they see this as the Cosmos are back playing professional soccer and it's Cosmos against U.S. soccer on the field and off the field and all of that. But if they don't play in a professional venue, um, I think it's going to hurt the club because now you have other uh, competitors in, in in the market. And some fans like that, right? Because we want to see promotion and relegation and we want to see um, local rivalries. So we can't hate on them just because they're playing in the same market. We need to just try to be better than them, really. So in, for for those for those folks who may not be may not be aware, MCU Park is uh, in yeah. Bro- in Brooklyn, correct? Yeah, that's in Coney Island. So just just to explain a bit more is that in the summer, it's off the water there. There mm-hmm. there there's a beach. There's a boardwalk. It's famous for Nathan's hot dogs, right? Um, and then and then there's an amusement park, right? So it's like right off of the field there. So it's a summer destination. Uh, for New Yorkers, I guess for tourists as well. Um, but I don't think that many people like stay in Coney Island, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like no one's staying in a hotel around there. It's just, um, people go for the day and just hang out. So, um, it's better than Hofstra as in 
uh, Hofstra, it's off of the school, really. So there's basically there's students around. So in Coney Island, you, you actually have people that might rock up to the stadium and maybe, A, not know about the Cosmos or not know that there's a, an event going on and they just want to buy tickets. Whereas at Hofstra, you, you really have to know that the Cosmos are playing uh, to be there. Um, where, where you want people to show up maybe and say, hey, I want to buy some tickets. I want to see what this is all about. And then they come back and then they buy season tickets or whatever. Um, so I don't think the Cosmos can rely on that type of fan. But that could make up a couple of sections in the stadium. You know what I mean? It's probably not going to make up the whole stadium because you want hardcore fans rooting on the Cosmos. Is it still uh, used for minor league baseball? Yeah. So I don't know if you heard the news, um, but that Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manafort, uh, and I know this is not a baseball a podcast, uh, of course. <laughs> well, we, um, but we've heard this, yeah. Yeah, he wants to get rid of, and I don't understand why. I think it's because, or the Major League Baseball owners are saying that we want to pay our players uh, a living wage, which I guess they're trying to say that we're going to uh, cut down on the minor league divisions so i guess they will have like two or three right so then they can pay them a decent wage um instead of like i don't know five six seven different levels uh, which is probably confusing for the, the normal fan but for places like staten island new york where i grew up we have the Island yankees uh, we still do hopefully in the future they have a waterfront stadium like coney island you know what i mean and, and they built um like these stores next to it and it's like a tourist destination now um I forgot what the question was, but well, the so the, to are, are the are the were the Cyclones on that list of clubs that are of teams that might no, be? Oh no, yeah, yeah. Did, they're going to be moved to Double A, which I don't know who thought about all this stuff really. Yeah, like who's bad enough to move up? I guess maybe because they have more support or they're a better team. I'm not sure, but they're going to move up to Double A if this all works out. I'm not too sure because a lot of politicians are are sort of telling them not do this. So I don't, I don't know if this is going to work or not, but just say, out of curiosity, how old is the stadium that they'll be playing in? Uh, MCU Park is saying, yeah. Yeah. It's not that old, but I'll pull up real quick here. Um, MCU. Well, it, this actually does hit a little closer to home than what you probably would have thought from when you yeah. said, I'm not sure if you guys heard the news, but we have a double A affiliate here in Chattanooga called the lookouts. And it's actually, uh, the oldest continually running minor league baseball team in the country. Uh, so we're, we're really familiar, and it is on the list of teams to get cut. So yeah. that could really affect things all kinds of ways for, for CFC in terms of, uh, you know, that would be one less thing for people to do uh, on, a, on a, any given Saturday night. It uh, There is uh, a st- stadium there that will be sitting empty of course i'm sure that won't be there very long but yeah so it, it definitely it's close to home when you're talking about uh minor league baseball teams possibly not being here in uh, a year or two yep yeah so so mcu park uh the same opened in 2001 so it's a uh, to me it, it from or maybe for most people it is a nice stadium um for cosmos fans it has seats with backs right where hofstra they have bleachers and I think Hofstra held more people. I think they held like ten to 12,000 people, whereas um, MCU Park was 7,000 people. But um, but MCU Park, they can sell sweets, and, and they can really professionalize the New York Cosmos, whereas a college venue or Mitchell uh, is not that, really. So, yeah, 
I think it's going to be really interesting because this baseball news, I, I think it doesn't just impact soccer, whereas where are we going to play? It's also, um, it shows how important these clubs are, baseball minor league clubs, because, yeah, maybe they're not making a whole lot of money. Maybe they're not having the best players, right? It's not about the game, per se, in minor league baseball. It's more for the entertainment and, and, and bringing the community together. Um, and in lower division soccer, it is about the results for the hardcore fans. And for the neutral, they, they just don't care, right? But you're a part of it. You live it every day and you love it. And why should someone take it away? Because they want to save money when they're billionaires, right? We're never going to be billionaires. But you want your minor league baseball team or your local soccer team to stay there. Um, and you don't want MLS to take it away or whoever to ruin what you love. Yeah, we, we don't we don't need to go down this rabbit hole, but it's just another it's just another problem with franchise yeah. and affiliate the affiliate way that that baseball has done business for a long time. And 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 when I hear people talk about the lower leagues of American soccer and using minor league baseball as some type of example, I just cringe because it's just. This is what this is what happens. Um, you know, th this, it, you know, in my opinion, I've talked with uh, some other folks about this. This is just a labor dispute. This is Major League Baseball saying we don't need to have, we don't need to pay this many people. That, I mean, they can they can frame it as a way to give some players a living wage. What it really yeah. is doing is it's it's cutting their it's cutting their wage bill. It's it's getting rid of 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 rookie league and and single A and getting rid of a bunch of, of teams that they just don't want to pay those players anymore. Uh, yeah. you know, and they don't, you know, I guess on their side, they feel like they don't really need it with the, with the increased analytics, with the, the increased quality of college baseball, you know, now college baseball is playing a, a, a similar role to major league baseball that, that college football is playing to the NFL. They're, they have a free minor league system in college baseball. Why play, why pay for it? So it's, you know, it's and it's um, the the parallels to lower division soccer are you know I mean I, I think it's it's um, it's frustrating it's 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 not where it's not where I think it's not where I think lower division soccer needs to go um, but like I said we, we you know that's a that's a that's a much deeper conversation for for a, another podcast John um, <laughs> you you mentioned on the in the conversation with uh, I think Chris uh, that. The Cosmos have been kind of running on a, a small, you know, small staff while they were at mm -hmm. where while they were in the MPSL. Uh, any news on on you know the you know how the club is going to be approaching this shift in the in 2020? You know, we have seen at Chattanooga uh, a number of new staff members being hired for this for this transition. Uh, have you heard anything from from the FO on on kind of a, a possible? restructure of the organization i'm not sure if they hired people already but uh i think they're gonna have to uh one because they don't have any full-time workers um and two because uh they have to meet the pls so they need to hire some people uh to fill out some sort of job titles uh, according to the professional league standards like sp people trying to get sponsors and coaching staff right they need to put together a professional coaching staff i don't know if carlos mendez is gonna come back or not i'm not sure um so, yeah, to answer your question, yeah, they need to hire a lot of people, especially in the New York market. You need to get people to buy tickets and you need to tell people you're here because you can't just rock up to the stadium and say, we're like, uh, we're playing Chattanooga FC. And it's like, well, no one knows about it. 
why didn't you implement that commercial that we said we were going to do, right? So they need to go all out on marketing and um, just tell people why they should support the team because we're the New York City Originals. In addition to that, you know, we have seen we have seen players here uh, that were MPSL that were on our MPSL roster kind of say goodbye to uh, to the club because you know, we know you know now we know from our earlier conversation with Tim that the the NISA roster limit has been has been set uh, for international players at seven. And oh, so okay, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that you know we we didn't. I didn't. I mean, that's kind of. I think that's what some of the usl leagues use uh so it was it wasn't that's what the north american soccer league did before yeah so um so you know we we learned that from him we have seen our own players because we had 18 international players on our mpsl roster so that that told every that told us it told everybody who's following the club hey we're going to see a significant change and i and i'm trying to find out now i can't remember now we we just we have just seen a miami fc player come out today or last couple of days to see, you know, kind of give his goodbyes. Um, so a, a player who's, and I'm trying to look on, on Miami FC's Twitter feed. I can't find it right now, of course. Um, but, you know, he's saying his goodbyes. Uh, have you seen anything or heard anything from, from Cosmos players that, that are, have, you know, that would be, would be kind of heading, heading out because of the change to, uh, to Nisa? No, I'm not really sure who's heading out or who's going to stay. Um, because I think from the Cosmos players' point of view, a couple weeks ago, we didn't know what was going to happen. You know what I mean? And then they wake up and they say, oh, we're going to join Nisa. And it's like, oh, great news, great news. Um, but there's some players right now that don't know if they're going to get a contract extension for 2020. Two, um, their contracts expired in uh, mid-November. And there's a, a few players that I can't name that have offers from other clubs, like decent clubs, like USL clubs, Canadian Premier League clubs. There are even some players telling me that they can make more money in Thailand uh, than I guess playing in, in lower division soccer, which I think is pretty shocking, especially on our part as a country. Um, US soccer should be very successful and I think more successful than Thailand. Uh because I was having a conversation with someone else, who, and I I was saying like, how many people are watching the Thailand Premier League or whatever they call it? Uh, and the guy was like, oh, no one. And I was like, well, who's watching Nisa? And the guy was like, no one. You know what I mean? Because no one's really watching Nisa because we haven't really played a competitive match yet. So I, I don't know why the Cosmos or why lower division soccer. And I, I wanted to ask you guys this and throw a question your way. Uh, do we know what the wages are going to look like in Nisa? Um, because I think if it's not a living wage, then a lot of our players would probably go to those uh, uh, clubs in the USL or the Premier League or in Thailand. Well, I can, you know, I'll just jump in and say we we um, we talked about this uh, a little bit uh, for our end of the season kind of joint yeah. podcast between us and the Section 109 guy, you know, guys, and we talked. I think somebody asked what the what the salaries would look like uh, relative to league one and championship and from what i know you know we've got we've got outliers in the cosmos and in miami you know miami has a one to two million dollar uh payroll if you if you believe what you hear uh i think the cosmos had a seven figure payroll if if you believe what you hear and that was in the npsl the seven figure payroll 
yeah, that man again. If 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 you, if if people believe, if I be, if we believe what I've yeah. heard other people say, I have no idea what the Cosmos, what their what their payroll actually was. But the, the what I've heard was that Cosmos in Miami had a seven figure overall payroll. We you don't see that really in in at least League One. I mean, League One. I think somebody said the range is somewhere between you know like two hundred and five hundred thousand um, dollars and you know what? Uh, and I think somebody guessed guesstimated. You know, we d- I don't know this to be to be a fact. We we didn't ask Tim, and and uh, I haven't heard this. We kind of guessed that our pay our salary range would be between three and four hundred thousand. And you know when you, you know, it's not hard to do that math if you're talking about twenty five players and you know four hundred thousand dollars. You know, you're not talking about a lot of money. You know, you're not you're not talking about you're not even talking about twenty thousand dollars a year for a player. So it is, it's disheartening to hear that. I know that some of our fans are really worried about, you know, the, the ability for Chattanooga to, to really take care of our players. Now we will do that. And I think you, you have to, that's just salary. You have to take into consideration, you know, we offer housing or we have in the past, um, you know, meals are, are largely, I think meals, especially on, on trips and things like that are paid for. And, um, you know, there's medical medical care and, and other there are other things that that add into that kind of the overall salary package. But, mm-hmm. you know, what we have heard is that I think that around four hundred thousand would be um, and we don't know anything about the current NISA clubs. I don't know anything about Oakland or Cal United or any of those clubs out there. Um, and so mm-hmm. you know, that, that's the number that gets thrown around um, most often. Yeah, it seems like we're all excited for NISA, which. We are, of course. Uh, but I think a lot of people look past that. They look past the wages for players in NISA um, because you have some clubs that we just never heard of before, like Stumptown, you know what I mean? You have the Michigan yeah. Stars that's joining NISA, and it's like, we want more clubs, but who's accepting these teams in? You know what I mean? Like, who's involved in expansion for NISA? It's like, yeah, we want more clubs in the NASL. We were struggling to get more clubs in to stay around for more than one season. And it's great to hear that. I, I saw a tweet that said, like, oh, in a certain year, NISA is going to have a certain amount of clubs, which is great. But it's like, are they all going to play? Are they all going to pay a decent wage? Are they going to draw a decent amount of people to their stadiums? And are they going to stay around for more than one year? But no one can guarantee that because that's the struggles and dignity of life of lower division soccer. I asked him, you know, you want to add clubs, you want because the the league needs to show that it's viable. But Tim brought up a good point. He's like, you know, we Chattanooga has had a ten year kind of incubation period to get to this point. He had he had not realized or kind of forgotten or didn't you know didn't know how real how really difficult it is to get a club just from you know from nothing to getting ready to to play professionally. And I think we've seen Stumptown in Atlanta um, kind of stumble around and 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 kind of struggle with those things. And so he, you know, he said that the league has to. He called it the Goldilocks kind of conundrum, where we have to we have to push to get to grow, but we can't grow with clubs that aren't ready yet. And it, and we may need to be willing to take a little more time for those clubs to kind of incubate. Uh, and so there's there's a there's a happy medium there. Uh, that, that I think Nisa has to figure out and, and find. Yeah. Um, what I was trying to say earlier was that um, the one thing that makes me a bit nervous about the Cosmos is getting that approval from the U.S. Soccer Board. 
Uh, as you all know, I don't. I really don't think the the U.S. Soccer Board likes the Cosmos or wants to see us join a professional league. Um, but then, on one hand, it's we already got approved from NISA, so why would they deny us from U.S. Soccer? Um, and then on the other hand, it's the Cosmos and the ASL are suing the U.S. Soccer Federation, and if they do reject the Cosmos application or proposal to join NISA, then Rocco and, and, and his lawyer, Jeffrey Kessler, uh, can just add that to the lawsuit and might help us out win it uh, and knock down the PLS. So interesting times uh, for the New York Cosmos. Um, so, yeah, we never die. Uh, if that's on and off the field, the lawsuits are, are, are on the field beating teams and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, it's very interesting times in New York City. I'm not too concerned about them getting approval to the USSF for exactly the reason you said. Uh, Number one, I think if you are going to, and and we did touch on this, and no disrespect to to any of the other teams, but if you look around NISA at some of those other teams, like how could you not admit the Cosmos? Uh, So I think think that argument kind of defends itself. And then just like you said, like the last thing I think USSF would want to do is put another, uh, give the Cosmos just one other thing to add into the lawsuit of things, you know, that just kind of would tip the scales even more in in the NASL lawsuit, as well as it would make the Cosmos, I can't imagine what would happen if they were denied, like, I think lower league soccer would absolutely explode and the cosmos would even be more of a martyr than what they are now. So, but the cosmos, they released a press release and Nisa, they announced it officially as well. So I don't think we're going to get rejected tomorrow. Um, So it's probably nothing to be worried about. Well, Todd, do you have, do you have anything else that you want to cover? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, briefly, John, if you would, uh, just, mm-hmm. just talk to us, uh, just a, a smidge about, um, what your overall feelings were about the season, uh, the, uh, fall, uh, season that you just had with the, uh, members cup and the results and ultimately not winning the championship. Yeah. It, it just seems like in the NPSL for whatever reason, uh, the Cosmos can't win big games, uh, championships against Miami AFC. Uh, because in the NASO days, like no one could knock us down really. And I'm not trying to be arrogant or whatnot, but we would sort of do our talking on the field. But now it seems like we're a big brand and we're not showing up on the pitch and winning the games that we need to. So I hope that changes in 2020. And maybe it will because we, we will be playing in a professional league and maybe the players would care right uh because maybe they look down at the mpsl competition even if they're getting paid for it and saying we're playing college players or whatever and yeah there are some professional uh teams out there in the mpsl but they're very few in our region so i think that has a major factor when we were playing competitive matches and those big games because miami fc i think down south they're actually playing uh professional teams like you got the armada you got i think it's miami fc i mean no uh miami united or something like that um so very competitive teams down there um so i hope that changes in 2020 where the cosmos can put a a a very quality team together and um try to win those big matches all right well hey john thanks uh once again for coming on it's always a pleasure to talk to you you provide that insight 
from from New York that you know we just can't have from down here. So uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, anything else you want to add? No, that's it. So if you want to uh, if you want to tune in the First Team Podcast, just check us out on Twitter at First Team Pod or our website firstteampod.com. Thanks again, guys. Yeah, thank, thanks, uh, John. We'll have to catch up. Uh, you know, when when we when when we're going through kind of the Nisa Spring Showcase, and you're watching from from afar, and when when it gets closer to the when when uh, the Cosmos start ramping up their organization for probably a fall start, we'll have to get back in touch and and talk a little bit about Nisa and where Nisa is. Uh, we hope that we hope Nisa looks a little differently in six months than it does now, and. As as quickly as things change in, in in U.S. soccer, who knows what who knows what we'll be talking about uh, in six months. But we really do appreciate you coming on and, and taking a little bit of time out of your evening uh, to share uh, the kind of the Cosmos perspective about what's been going on. Yeah, no problem. At the moment, Nisa looks like uh, the UPS cell of Lower Division Soccer, uh, but hopefully, once the Cosmos join, it oh, looks like oh. the MLS of U.S. Soccer. Yeah. yeah okay. Okay. <laughs> You're not you're not helping you're not doing a whole lot to help yourself there with the with the brand there. Uh, the yeah. our, our, our Detroit listeners are going to be uh, going to jump all over you there, John. Yeah, hopefully no uh, future investors of uh, Nisa are listening to this because we want you to join, guys, uh, and uh, make a very competitive league. <laughs> right. Yeah. So. Well, uh, hope things are going well. Hope you have a great uh, holiday and uh, you, you yeah. don't eat too much on uh, on Thursday. And we'll be talking to you uh, soon, I'm sure. Okay, thanks. All right, thanks. All right, bye. Again, thanks to John Frusciante from the First Team Podcast uh, spending a little time with us talking about the New York Cosmos, the brand uh, coming to NISA you know, I think the combination, Todd, of having of having uh, Tim come on and talk a little bit about the meetings and talk a little bit about what Nisa had talked about in those meetings and the decisions that were made, and then to talk a little bit with with Todd, with Todd, your Todd, you know, talk with John uh, about you know, kind of a club moving to Nisa. It was a good combination for tonight, and and really two interesting conversations. My head is still spinning uh, from just just even talking about the brand I mean, it's just so big <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm disoriented actually so yeah. i don't know who you're talking to a minute ago yeah no nah, it was it was a good two good interviews i hope uh, everybody enjoyed those um and speaking of enjoying i hope everyone enjoys the upcoming holidays thursday is thanksgiving so uh, hopefully we'll get this podcast out and while you're on your way to your uh family's house whether that be uh, looking forward to it or dreading it, we hope that uh, the pod- I hope that the podcast uh, gives you uh, a little bit of a uh, respite uh, yeah. from that. So, I kind of I kind of yeah, can just sit over there on the couch and plug this in and zone out. <laughs> right, you yeah. know, I, I think we're going to give you about an hour and twenty or hour and a half yep. of content just to zone out. That's so what I, I was going to say, it. Todd. I, I mean, I think I think I want to get this out so that people can put their earbuds in. And mm-hmm. maybe at the table or in the living room when the when when the uncle when the crazy uncle starts going off on on whatever the crazy uncle starts to talk about, you know you can just you can just you know kind of move away and 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 listen to the soothing tones of the four two three soccer pod and just uh, just kind of ignore all the other stuff that's going on. So maybe yeah, just and about every every two minutes you can just say okay, yeah, just nod and smile, right? Yeah. 
So this is this is your this is your Thanksgiving podcast to to kind of to get yourself through the family time, um, because you know at some point it doesn't matter who your family is, at some point you are ready to disengage. So that's what we're here for. <laughs> <laughs> well, Todd, um, we'll get back together. I, I will, you know, just to tell folks, um, we have a, a, a show scheduled for next week. We're going to talk with David Smotherman. Uh, hopefully, if you've seen on Twitter, he's, he made some allusions to some new merch merchandise announcements. We're hoping it's a right around the, the I think the day that we're going to talk with him is is the the day of the announcements that are coming out. So hopefully we'll have some some new kind of merchandise to talk about, maybe a new a new kit partner to talk about, uh, and then uh, Sheldon Grizzle will be on. Finally, we're getting you know we've you know Todd, you and I have done like thirty nine of these, and we've never we didn't we've never had Sheldon on so. Um, as he's kind of exiting, you know what? we've been, we've been honing our interview skills just for that interview. <laughs> right. As, as he is exiting the role of, of club president and, and going back to do, you know, what he does with his other businesses, but staying on in various roles with the board, uh, on CFC. So we're going to talk with him about, you know, kind of the year that was and, and what he sees and, and maybe his getting some of his thoughts as we move into a new phase of the club. So, uh, until then, uh, we will see you on the Twitter. You can find me at, or you can find me, block me, mute me, do whatever you want to do on Twitter at Chattagooner. And you can find me, Todd, great footballer, GR8FTBLR on the Twitters. So until we talk to you guys again, uh, go CFC. Go Blues and eat a lot of turkey. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry.